Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and in episode 13, I speak with Gary Wells, an Emmett therapist for horses and humans. Gary's name in the horse industry is held very high. Anytime I'm on social media and see people ask for an equine body therapist, his name is always in the mix. So when I started this podcast, his name was one that I always kept in the back of my mind for approaching for an interview. And now you can find out why. Gary spent a lot of time in the horse racing industry, and I'm so glad that there are people in the industry who care for their horses enough to employ people like Gary. They care for their horses and their recovery by using Gary and the Emmett therapy work that he does. They are choosing kind, gentle and such a very effective way to keep their races on the track. Gary works with all types of horses and as with most people I've interviewed on this podcast so far, the story of how he came to be doing his line of work is just as interesting as the work that he does. Here is Gary. Gary, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. First of all, Gary, can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Well, I'm an Emmett therapist, and Emmett is a technique developed by a fellow Australian called Ross Emmett. And um, I've been um, involved in the technique for about the past 15 years, uh, initially with the horses, and since 2010, I've become qualified and um, am also qualified as a human muscle therapist. How long has the Emmett therapy been around? Well, Russell, uh, Ross Emmett uh, himself, he's about 72, um, and he has been doing uh, various forms of uh, therapy work since the early 70s uh, in Mount Isa, and uh, he developed the technique uh, virtually throughout his life, and more in particular the last 20 years he has started uh, teaching uh, the technique and it's now taught in actually 36 countries around the world and more than 20,000 people have undertaken various forms of training in that modality. Wow, that's some legacy is leaving, isn't it? Well, it is, and, and I think that's uh, been a, a massive motivating factor. Ross is actually uh, currently in the United States uh, teaching the human side uh, of the technique, and uh, I'm also here in the USA uh, 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 leading the charge for the horse uh, technique. Fantastic. I'd like to dive a bit more into that. But first, Gary, I'd like to hear a lot more about you. Did you grow up with horses? Have they always been a part of your life? Well, well the answer is yes uh, at various times. I, uh, I was fortunate enough uh, as a little boy to uh, have grandparents who had a farm. I had a pony. Uh, I rode. I rode until I was about 15 and broke a leg uh, roller skating and I did not uh, go back to the horses for some 20 years and um, uh, from the time I was about uh, 35, 36 years of age, I've had a horse back in my life uh, uh, ever since and um, they played a massive part in my my, uh, social circumstances and also uh, subsequently in a second uh, career as a muscle therapist. Mm, What was your first career? Well, I was a police officer. I had over 30 years as a police officer in Queensland and um, I finished up, I worked my last shift on the 28th of June 2006 
and I immediately uh, uh, set up myself as a muscle therapist. I had uh, a fair sort of a following uh, even at that time, and uh, it quickly grew, and um, I've been in a full-time therapist uh, uh, ever since. So um, I've been very blessed to have two careers. Yeah, and what got you into the muscle therapy in the first place? So did you, did the horses come back into your life and then the therapy came in or did you learn about the therapy first and then horses rolled on after that? The horses came back in in a big way. Uh, my wife and I um, started to uh, own, breed and race horses uh, from the mid-'80s and... Um, I eventually uh, took out a trainer's licence whilst I was still a police officer. I think I was the only inspector of police in Australia who had a uh, professional trainer's licence um, uh, at, the, at the same time. And uh, I was continually looking for ways to help the horse. And uh, I had associated with chiropractors and uh, fantastic uh, vets and, and other good horse horsemen uh, like Jimmy Atkins who was a legend trainer in Toowoomba and an old uh, racehorse trainer called James Malcolm Marshall, Jimmy Marshall and I learned a lot of things off them but I was always looking for something else to be more I suppose defined in improving the well-being and, and the biomechanical efficiency of the horse and I found this technique by sheer accident and I saw a young girl doing this on a horse and I thought it was absurd. I thought it was rubbish. And the horse that I knew had been sore came out a few days later and won a race and I couldn't believe it. So I sought out the young girl, apologised to her for not being respectful for what she was doing and found out she had done a beginner's course at uh, Emmet Therapy. So I immediately sought that out myself and the journey began about 15 years ago and can't remember exactly how many times or how many courses I've done, but I've um, I've started teaching about five years ago and started bringing it to the United States when Ross Emmett asked me to uh, help him in that regard uh, about two and a half years ago. So it's been an interesting journey. Wow. And what was it that got you into, is it thoroughbred racing that you did? Well, yes, well, I started out with running quarter horses. Um, it was a popular sport. Uh, emerging in Toowoomba in the 80s and um, I um, I started uh, with a couple of um, running quarter horses and when that stopped I continued to uh, be interested in racing and uh, uh, merged into thoroughbreds and um, my wife and I were, were hobby trainers with, with friends and horses uh, uh, going forward and I, I look back on our time in racing as uh, as it was and we had more than 100 winners over the years it was an amazing uh, uh, time that we had uh, in the racing industry it was fantastic yeah that's a great amount of winners so what was, was the moment because you said you were off horses for many years what was the catalyst to get you back into the quarter horses in the first place my wife uh, relatives had a uh, cattle property um out from Wallumbilla in Western Queensland and we went out there one holiday and I actually got back on a horse which as I said I hadn't been on for, for 20 years and I started to ride again then it just sort of happened it, it is an addiction you know uh, 
Oh, I know. <laughs> you can give away the heroin and the cigarettes, but you can't give away your horses. And um, it look, it it, it 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 was it was like an avalanche. Once I uh, once I got back on the horses when I started to ride again, and uh, we bought a mare in foal with a foal at foot, and we got them educated and got them going. And it, then there was more and more and more. And uh, as I said, over the years we've had more than a hundred winners on racetracks from Birdsville to the Gold Coast. And at one stage there, we had a very good mare uh, that we raced with some friends uh, that raced in both the Oaks and the Derby. So, like, we, 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 we were blessed to have good horses and uh, we had a lot of fun. Mm. And did you breed most of them yourself? Uh, no, um, but uh, <laughs> like most people in the horse, you've you got to try it uh, first before you realise you're not good at it. And... <laughs> I uh, I worked out that um, uh, breeding was not it, – it's a specialist game and um, uh, we, we did win races with the horses. Actually, every horse we bred, we won with. But um, uh, it's a lot easier if you go to the yearling sales or to a, 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 a good breeder and buy the horse uh, in a sound um, furnished condition as a yearling or – or whenever, uh, because when you breed them, you're stuck with what you've got, no matter whether the legs are straight or indifferent. <laughs> yeah, and you've had a lot of success. What do you think? Um, what do you think that was due to? Why do you think you had so many winners? It's not just luck. Oh well, look, I'll show you. A lot of it is is good luck and avoiding bad luck. But um, I, uh, I. Uh, I was blessed in the racing industry to associate with people who were really generous of heart to uh, teach me ways of, um, of of being knowing about horses, uh, uh, being able to look at a horse and to see if there was any um, upset or, or, or um, I suppose um, inefficiency in the horse, either emotionally or physically, and 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 it really resonated once I started learning the Emmett technique that it 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 was really a whole uh, holistic approach. And over the years, I've developed a, a a model, I suppose, of care, and it goes feet, teeth, diet, muscle, underpinned by horsemanship, supported by professional veterinary care, and they're just elements, but. By having that uh, that model uh, of um, I suppose of care and uh, performance, it, it just it coaches you to be aware of all facets within the horse uh, itself. And um, uh, the best performing horses are those that are happy and healthy. And uh, I think that's the secret of success. Wonderful. How early in your racing career did you find the Emmet therapy? And how much of a difference did it make to the performance of your horses before and after? Well, I think, to be fair, the the best results associated with my time in the racing industry were with my horses. I was a better therapist than I was a trainer, and I I I was given an opportunity uh, to look after horses owned by uh, the O'Brien family, who. Uh, based in Melbourne, but they had a, a stable of horses trained in Toowoomba uh, by a interesting gentleman by the name of Ron Morn. And for the three years that I was associated with that stable, um, they had an amazing uh, run of success. And 
without uh, being so uh, boastful, for the three years before I was there, they won about a million dollars. And for the three years after I was there, I think they won about 1.6 million. But for the three years I was there, they won 8 million. Mm. And I don't have any doubt that the fact that I was able to keep the horses sound, I was able to keep the horse, and, and, and not just sound, but have them recover after racing. Uh, I used to treat every horse before and after they raced. And um, uh, they they just did well. And I can remember walking up the breezeway of the of the stable there at, uh, at Clifford Park, and there were 19 horses in the stables, and there was 13 last start winners. And that sort of strike rate was almost unheard of. So, no, I, 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 I think that... Uh, uh, my days of uh, in the racing industry, the success were more at the hands of uh, horses trained by others. But um, the technique, it, it's a wonderful technique and it, it just helps the horses uh, be more efficient and, and also keeps them happy. That's a big deal. Yeah. In everything that I've learned in the horse world, in every discipline, if your horse isn't relaxed and happy, it's not going to do whatever you ask it to do. You can't listen if you're not relaxed and happy, and that goes for every discipline. I totally agree, and and my focus just hasn't just hasn't always been in racing. Probably since 2010, I moved away a little and branched out into clients with dressage, show jumping, eventing, polo polo cross camp draft um cutting I, I i love working with every discipline because each each horse in each discipline has its own uh, i suppose challenges and you you learn to be able to articulate what may be relevant to horses that are doing repetitive uh, training or, or or repetitive actions in any particular discipline and again that's just experience and i've been fortunate to uh, uh, have uh, access to a lot of horses with a lot of clients over the years. It's really nice to hear about the racing industry. First of all, we'll, we'll finish off that little part. Um, there's so much conjecture in the racing industry, and I believe there are horses out there that love to race, and I believe there are horses out there who really don't want to race, and it's the industry itself that needs an overhaul. So it's so nice to hear that there are relaxed and happy horses out there um, who love racing, bolting around that track. I think it's fantastic that you're able to to give that. And boy, I hope there's still people in there, in that industry, giving horses what it is that you gave them. Oh, look, there, there are, and and I think I, I I honestly believe we're on the um, the brink of what I call the new age of horsemanship. And and there's been massive changes. I'm only 65, and in the years that I've been associated with the horse industry, the improvements in how people approach horsemanship. You know, the Pat Pirellis, uh, Buck Bannerman, uh, Clinton Anderson, Ray Hunt, those people in the Western world and and, and, and uh, amazing coaches in, in, in all the other disciplines, dressage uh, and, and many others. People are getting very good information and I do think uh, that... Um, there are definite waves of improvement in every facet of, of the uh, of the horse industry. So what was next for you? You retired from the Queensland Police Service and you went full-time doing Emmet for Animals? Well, the answer is yes. I, I left the police department in, in 2006 and uh, I had a small team of horses in work uh, at that time, and I, I, I maintained my, my trainer's licence until 2010. And 
it was clear that I was a better therapist than I was a trainer and I, I handed my trainer's license in and was full-time as a therapist. And since then, I've developed skills with the, the human side and I, 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 I do specialise in treating the horse and the rider and particularly in, 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 in dressage and those types of discipline, the influence of the rider uh, by way of posture and balance um, has a massive influence on the horse and I found just by experience if you did not uh, correct the any inefficiencies in the rider that would they would permeate those uh, back into the horse uh, the horse is like a uh, uh, a mirror of the rider and um, that's what motivated me to uh, learn the human side of things and um, uh, that's my specialty the horse and rider wow and can we take a little step back again? When you first decided to study Emmet therapy, how was that first course for you? How much did you change and how much did it change your mindset and everything to do with horses? Well, my mindset at that time, I was desperate to find ways of improving the well-being of horse. And, and, and I, there was a, a very interesting chiropractor who used to be around the ridges in those days, a guy called Cole Hamilton, he was gifted. And I, I was forever, ever trying to find ways to emulate him. Anyway, when I saw the Emma technique and it was, it, it, it enabled me even from level one, from, from the very first level, I was able to do things that this Cole Hamilton could do without using the chiropractic adjustment approach. This Emma technique if you see it, it is very difficult to comprehend because you're touching points on the body with the tips of your fingers and within a specified period of time and sequence of actions, the muscles just relax and horses that step short, uh, have no lateral efficiencies on the inside stride of movement, move freely and have length of stride to die for. And it empowered me from day one and i got to say I must have the addictive gene in me because the more I did the more I wanted to do and um, I, I probably I'm not all that talented uh, without being self-deprecating but I have a great work ethic and I, I, I practiced and practiced and practiced and I, I do believe that was the secret to my uh, success from day one can you tell us about the first horse that you worked on that you were able to see a difference in and what that was like? Oh, well, I um, I came home and I actually worked on a um, a friend of mine's horse. I was stabled. I rented a stable off him for my one horse, and I treated this horse for him, for him. And he, he literally the horse you. It used to bite uh, at you when you were doing the girth up and it, we treated the horse and we put the saddle on and it didn't move. It, it, um, it, all it had was a sore wither and I did a series of switches on its, on its, on its um, wither and uh, did a release of its neck and um, we put the saddle on and it sort of smiled at us. It was, it was amazing. And uh, that was the very first time that I actually did something to a horse that got the results and I was just empowered by it. Wow. And uh, hundreds and thousands of stories from then on. What's a, another horse that sticks in your memory the most of the change that you're able to make? Oh, look, 
without doubt, there was a race filly by the name of Gold Edition, owned by the O'Brien family. And I often tell the story that she raced at group one level. She won like $3.4, $3.6 million in prize money. And she, um, she raced in three group one races uh, over a three-week period. And I, I, I flew to Sydney uh, and treated her before she raced and treated her after she raced. And then they took her to Melbourne. She won two races in Sydney and travelled to Melbourne by road. And I, 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 I'll never forget when I got there on the, uh, on the Thursday and saw her. She had only arrived down. She travelled down on, 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 the, on the Wednesday and I saw her and I didn't think she'd be able to race. She just looked absolutely had it. Anyway, um, the press were, were looking to take photos of her and uh, the trainer stalled them and uh, had them leave me with the horse. And we'd come out half an hour after doing some adjustments on her and she was uh, squealing and kicking up and, and playing. And uh, the recovery of, of, of the horse doing that. It, it, and I can remember the press taking photos of her and saying how she was fresh as a daisy and, uh, you know, she travelled a treat. And she, uh, half an hour earlier, you thought she was going to be uh, sent to the spelling paddock. She looked terrible. It was amazing, the recovery. That's incredible. It, it was. And, and she came out on the Saturday, and this is three Saturdays in a row, at Group 1 level and a sprinter. And she got beaten a half head by Miss Andretti, who was arguably the best sprint mare in the world at the time. Uh, she went to England and won the uh, the race that um, Black Caviar won um, some years later. So, like this, this was at the absolute top of Group One uh, racing in Australia. And uh, I, uh, I I unselfishly praised myself with um, making a difference to that, that wonderful filly on that day. Mm, I'm sure you did. What is it about Emmet therapy that can relieve a horse that much in that short amount of time? Can you explain that as best you can for the unexplainable? Or well, it's light touch uh, digital release of muscles, and the simplest way of, of of explaining it is this. The muscle will become inefficient for a range of reasons, whether it's fatigue, injury, repetitive movement, like travel, like a horse stabilising itself in a moving vehicle for a number of hours. It, 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 it's very stressful. Mm. When they when they arrive, um, doing a recovery session on, on the horse, the muscles are released by virtually touching the release points and it immediately engenders an increase in blood flow and blood flow carries oxygen and oxygen is your is your source of recovery. It, it is a simple yet elegant way of releasing the stress in the horse. It's um and and really until you see it, it's it's hard to to comprehend. And um, I, I got a text from a student of mine who went to um, her trainers today and um, did a couple of treatments on horses that the trainer had there I'll, I'll just read read this to you it, it it's quite overwhelming went with me uh or kathy went with me to the trainer's barn today whilst riding emma trainer had a fractious three-year-old giving him fits chris put his uh, put the filly up uh, to avoid losing his temper 
uh, I rode. Then we offered to see if we could do some something to help the filly. We did a series of moves on her. She couldn't stand still to start with. Within minutes, she had her head down. It was melting in our hands. Uh, Chris immediately grabbed another client's horse uh, from the arena, brought it out. We treated the hamstrings and some other parts. Owner is waiting to come to the clinic in October. And, and again, that's just a perfect example of it. She's a student who's done two levels, level one and level two, and she's been able to help a horse that uh, an experienced professional trainer is having difficulty with. The horse was fatigued and tired. This, this is a game changer, this technique. When people take the time to see what it can do, they embrace it. That's what fuels my passion is that I do believe that this can really be one of the great change agents of care for horses in the modern era. Mm, and it's so much more um, gentle and kind than bleeding a horse after racing, isn't it? What an extraordinary opposite end of the paradigm that is. Well, all I can say is I, 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 I never criticise any technique or any other methodology used by people because they're doing it with good heart and, and, and good faith to help and care for the horse. And, and I'm sure you know, in all facets of, of history, as we learn something new, it will replace something that was thought to be efficient and effective in the past. And that's the growth of, of humankind. I, I, I think it's an evolution of, of where we are. And to see in my lifetime how things have changed, the, the, the tools that we have to care for horses, you know, the shoeing, the farrier work, uh, the dental work, like those two facets, the feet and the teeth of the horse, uh, are key to their well-being. And then dietary issues, you know, we're blessed to be in a time where there are there are professional skill sets that are continually striving to improve the care, well-being and performance of the horse. Can you take me through those four steps again in a little bit more detail? Well, my, my model of care, and I've boldly named it the Gary Wells Performance Model, and it's simply feet, teeth, diet, muscle, underpinned by horsemanship, supported by professional veterinary care. And I, 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 I would go to a stable or, or, or to a new client uh, at least once a week when I'm working as a practitioner and you'll see that the feet aren't right or one of my stock questions, when was the teeth last done? And it, it'll be said, oh, 18 months, two years. And, and I say to them, look, get something done about the feet and have the teeth done. And, and give me a ring after you do that. I, I, I'd rather the horse have those fundamental steps taken. And, and, and people who don't know appreciate being coached. They appreciate you uh, sharing with them your experience and enabling them to take a positive step to take better care of the horse. And I, I find that very enriching. Great. What comes after teeth? Look, feet, teeth, diet, muscle. If you get the first three right, I'm a superstar. <laughs> Makes your job a lot easier. Well, it does. How do we get the How do we get the diet right? Well, honestly, there's so many different approaches, and I've been blessed to receive some coaching and support from a nutritionist from New Zealand, a lady by the name of Jenny Patterson. She has a company called 
calm, healthy horses. And I've become a big fan of of her and uh, the products that she has. Often, you'll see a horse that's agitated and it's been on pasture where the grasses are just sending them through the loop or they're on too much loose. And I'll often recommend one of her products, put the horse on it for a week and take away the loose and then you come back and it's a different horse. Potassium spikes in horses um, are so prevalent today, it's not funny. And if you have a horse with an elevated potassium level, it uh, will uh, you know, accelerate the adrenal gland and then they're in the fight or flight mode and they can't relax. You know, it, it's, it's a simple thing to actually break that cycle by taking simple changes in their diet. I continually recommend people to consult with her website and, uh, and use her products. That helps me just to be a more successful and professional muscle therapist. Mm, so your part comes next. How do you come into that? As I said, um, I, I'm diligent with all the other elements and if they're in place, like I can help the horse. And again, the next step, competent horsemanship. If the horse isn't educated properly, I'm not a horse breaker and you know, I, I might suggest, look, you might need to do this with the horse. But And, and then it's all underpinned by professional veterinary services or, or a practitioner. At the bottom of every tutorial note that we use in class, if in doubt, call your vet. You know, you have to have a full gambit of, of knowledge, skills and abilities to care for your horse. I'm just part of that that jigsaw puzzle. So when you first see a horse, do you need it to walk around? Do you need it to be ridden? How do you, how is it that you can find a problem in a horse? I was a police officer for many years and I prided myself on my investigatory skills. And one of the most powerful elements of any investigator is the power of observation and interview. And you're right, I love to see the horse walk and uh, I like to see the horse walk away from me across my line of sight so I can see the length of stride on either leg, the near side or the off side and back towards me. I look very closely at the uh, muscle conformation uh, uh, of the horse, uh, the evenness of the hindquarters. The, the first thing I look for is how straight is the horse through its body. And I would say 80% of the horses on the planet are like human beings. They have some inefficiency through their spinal column either through uh, a genetic or uh, a confirmation circumstance or some muscle inefficiency. And that's the first thing I normally look at. Because that will impede the nervous system, which then, you know, affects yeah, the rest of the body? That's, that's the first thing I do. I either do what's called a spinal balance, or if I don't do that, I then make a decision as to what I start on. But And, and I do rely on information from the rider. The rider will, will tell me if it's the horse is tight in either rein or it won't come off your leg or if it won't articulate a particular lead change or it has some other inefficiency. And, you know, you are the, you are the investigator. You need to identify the facts and... Once you identify the facts, you develop a plan to relieve the inefficiency, to improve the gait, the uh, level of confidence in moving of the horse. Um, and it's, it is a process that um, you, know, you develop over years. And I've been very fortunate to have a lot of horses come my way. And the wonderful thing is that we as horse owners can learn this practitioner model as well just to look after our own horses so they're 
is something that we can all do. Definitely. Look, it's my it's my view, and I'm not trying to sell people this for any other purpose other than it will help them. And I've had vets, doctors, osteopaths, uh, acupuncturists, people from every professional level come and do this Emma technique with me in classes that I've run personally. And every one of them has urged that this is something for everyone. And I believe every horse owner and or rider should do at least levels one and two of this technique to allow them to take better care of their animals. Make the world a better place for horses. Is is it most of the time, can it be that fast on most issues? Is there anything, how many times would you need to see a regular horse or how many times if we came and learnt this model would we have to use it on our horse to treat something specific? The, the, the thing is you can't answer that question. Every every instance is, is case specific and and. It depends on a whole range of a multitude of influencing factors. I've had great success by a one-off treatment, or sometimes you have to uh, uh, do a number of treatments. And and sometimes there are interceding factors. A bad-fitting saddle um, is responsible for so many sore backs and 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 busters off horses. It's not funny. And and until people actually change the uh, change the saddle. They'll have problems, and what I do is, if I identify a specific issue, I refer them to a competent practitioner in that particular area, whether it's a good farrier, a good dentist, nutrition, horsemanship. You know, uh, it's all of those things. We're only part. Not only only are, are we part of the solution, we are part of the education program for the owner. Mm, and it's part of a whole system. It is. It is. And um, and, and I want to say this about the Emma technique because it, it, it's a complementary technique. It doesn't pretend to be a standalone feature. And it, it melds beautifully with every facet of equine care. And it doesn't matter whether it's from a simple mash arts perspective to a scientific-based uh, 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 skeletal adjustment um, one particular vet, uh, Grant Harris, who was based in Australia and Queensland, he is a vet with over 20 years' experience. He's a chiropractor, acupuncturist, and a qualified Emmet therapist. He's given me a recommendation that he now uses Emmet in 80% of his treatments. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it fits in with everything. It's complementary. Mm. And... We've heard a lot about the physical. What about things like emotional problems and trauma in horses? Does Emmet therapy work on that level? Very much so. And emotional resets in both the horse and the rider. The attachment to dysfunctional memory, and I'm not pretending to be a scientist or a, or a, or a, 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 a medical professional, but it is, it is common knowledge in trauma, uh, dysfunctional memory, and muscle memory are uh, influenced by the, by the mind. And often you have to have the mind release the muscle as well as the neuromuscular settings of the muscle itself. Yeah, it's, it's the freeze response. When trauma happens, the trauma's frozen in the body and it needs that, that defrosting, that melting to able to, to let it release and it definitely holds in the muscles. My background's in holistic 
counselling. So we worked a lot with, with that type of thing. I worked on a young serviceman who has been retired uh, medically unfit uh, here in the USA the other day. He, he couldn't lift his arm above his shoulder and we did two simple adjustments with him and he had full motion of movement again. And the emotional attachment to that event was significant. And, you know, these sorts of things, you just don't take them lightly. And the horses, the horses do harbour muscle memory and dysfunctional memory, particularly from poor handling or poor treatment. Look, let me just say this to you, that this is a simplistic yet elegant technique that if people take the time to look at, they will be convinced that they can be empowered themselves to help themselves with their horse in ways that they could not have previously imagined. And I, I urge everyone to take the time to find an Emmet therapist near you and uh, spend a few dollars to get them to come and have a look at their horse for you. You will be moved by it. Mm. And there's something else that you do called Horse 360. Can you tell me a bit about that? Well, yes, it's an educational uh, app that has been on the market for a few years now, but it, it, it's a simple way for whether you're, whether you're six years of age or 66 years of age like me, it's, you can learn the anatomy of the horse in a game and it's, it's a great product and uh, I'm very proud to have been associated with it uh, over the years. How does it work? It, it, it's, a, it's an app. It, it will teach you virtually university-level uh, anatomy 101. So I can stand in the paddock and I can open it up and I can look at my horse and I can learn all about it. You can't, and it, it, it's a great way for kids in particular because they they love the technology and the app. To an anatomy book weighs about ten pound or five kilos. This fits in your pocket, so it's a great tool. Horse three sixty, fantastic. And at the moment, you're in America, Gary. What is it that you're doing over there? Well, I'm running a series of clinics. Um, I'm actually on a road trip. I, have you ever been in a position in life where you've bitten off more than you can chew? <laughs> <laughs> I've got four kids. Yeah. I live in that space. Okay. You, you know what I'm talking about. But I'm driving from College Station in Texas. I'm three parts of the way up to Davis in California. And I've got two clinics there that I'm driving across to um, Nebraska. Well, two clinics there, then Michigan, Indiana, and back to Texas. All that uh, in the space of flying back to Australia on July 3rd, I think. so. And is the point of that road trip to bring Emmett for Horses to America? Well, the answer is yes, but it's also to give me some gratification. I, I bought a Jeep over here and uh, I'm doing some road trips, enjoying myself. Uh, uh, this is a, an amazing country to drive around and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the diversity of scenery while I'm doing something I'm very passionate about and, and I'm having a great time. I imagine the scenery would be a bit different to Australia. What is it that you love about the scenery over there? Well, there's so much of it like Australia, but the two countries are similar size. We've got a, a, about eight percent of their population. I, I, I'm just I, I, I'm in awe of their uh, of, of their of their highway system, of their diversity of um, of cities, how rural areas blend into metroplexes it's 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 quite a interesting experience it's different to australia wonderful and how about on the horse side of things do you see a difference in american horses versus australian horses oh 
Yes, and now look, just the sheer volume of horses here. What blew me away? There's more horses in the Dallas Fort Worth area than than the whole of Australia, and that's only one state and one part of one state. Um, that's a lot. That is a lot. That is a lot. There's more than my there, word. There's more horses here than you can poke a stick at, and I, I just think it's a great opportunity if we can get some recognition here in the United States we might be able to make a difference to the world. Is there anything else you want to say before we go, Gary? Yes, there is. I just want to thank you for uh, reaching out uh, uh, to myself and to uh, allow us to showcase the image therapy to your audience. And I'm very grateful for your um, your very um, personal way of conducting the interview. And I look forward to meeting with you when I get back to Australia. Fantastic. Well, I'd just like to say thank you, Gary. I love what it is that you've got to offer in Emmett Therapy and I want to thank you for everything that you do for horses and for people. It sounds quite incredible and I will certainly be booking in for the next Emmett Therapy course because I think my four horses and myself can definitely benefit from it. So thanks from the horses and from me for everything that you do for them and for us. Thank you so much. Maybe one day I'll see some of you at one of Gary's workshops, as this is definitely on my list of things to do. I can't imagine riding or working my horses without something like this in my toolkit. To connect with Gary, you can follow the links in the show notes, or you can go to the blog on my website and follow the links, as well as see some photos of Gary and his horses and work. My website is comealongfortheride.com.au. If you get a moment, you might also like to have a listen to earlier episodes in the series. In episode 9, I spoke with Sandy Robertson from SEQ Brumby Association. It's a wonderful story of the temperament of this iconic breed of horse. She is knowledgeable and has a great story to tell. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please tell your friends about this podcast. You can share us on your social media. You will find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. If your friends don't know how to podcast, just send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who might be resistant to technology but would love to listen. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. I would love it if you would get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you would like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine. So please, if there's anyone out there you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. A big thanks once again to Melissa Hanwright, who was the one who suggested I interview Gary. His name was in the back of my mind for a while, but having not worked with him personally, it was great to know that someone could recommend him. So thanks, Melissa. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.